and positivity, everyone. It's Takesha of Native Nubian Wellness, and you are watching another session of Black Women Who Blaze. Today, I have a very special guest with me, and she is another woman who is blazing trails in the Connecticut cannabis community and industry, and I'm so excited to connect with her and share space, and that she decided to come on a platform and join the tribe. So Tiana is the founder and high empress of Lady Jane, a luxury cannabis wellness brand. Tiana is a visionary leader with a track record for excellence in advocating on behalf of the marginalized and her beloved community of Hartford, where she serves on the city council. Professionally, she has been practicing criminal law for over a decade. She has represented countless individuals charged with marijuana possession and other drug-related offenses, and believes that no one should be imprisoned for nonviolent drug offenses. She has practiced in the areas of immigration, family law, and civil litigation. Before joining the SILS law firm, Tiana was a dedicated member of the Public Defender's Office. Notably, she has helped lead an anti-gun violence initiative in Hartford. Amazing. She has served on several nonprofit boards, Tiana is a proud mother of three and her greatest role by far, I'm quite sure. <laughs> she currently is an appointed commissioner for the Connecticut Commission for Children, Women, Seniors, Equality and Opportunity. In the past, she was employed as a special assistant to former Hartford Mayor Pedro E. Segarra. Okay. Lately, her time has been consumed learning more about the cannabis industry as a pathway for intergenerational wealth and economic justice. Tiana's company, Connecticut Cultivation Solutions, is one of the first adult-use cannabis cultivators in Connecticut. Thank you for joining the platform and sharing your time with the tribe. Tiana Hercules, how are you today? I'm doing great, Keisha. First, just thank you so much for extending this invitation. You know, I you are someone in this industry and in this space that I admire greatly. Um, your collaborative spirit, your knowledge, your energy is always just so on point and just so um magnetizing or magnetic. So I'm really am honored to be here sharing space with you today to talk a little bit about, you know, my journey into cannabis and what we can hope for in the future in Connecticut's cannabis industry. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. And, you know, I've been in Connecticut for quite some time. I'm not a native Connecticut. I'm a native New Yorker, but you are native to Connecticut, right? And so growing up here, you've seen so much, especially in our community. And 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 it feels like that may have been a part of what uh really drove you or called you to get into, you know, law and you know, the justice system. Um, so how was that for you to to kind of grow up in Connecticut and then decide, hey, I'm going to get involved with, you know, changing some things? Yeah, for sure. And I appreciate you, <laughs> you saying that. Um, Yeah, I grew up, I grew up in a small town in southeastern Connecticut, um, New London, which is a, you know, a working class kind of blue collar town for the most part, pretty, um, you know, ethnically and racially diverse, but certainly a working class community. And um, I actually, grew up in one of my first, you know, homes after being born was the, what we call Crystal Avenue projects, which is where these high rise um, housing projects, which actually were recently demolished. So they don't even exist anymore. 
And, you know, and just growing up in a certain environment where, you know, poverty and um, certain governmental policies and uh, over-policing kind of are just always part, you know, it's, it's a character in your story, you know, mm-hmm. um, as a Black person in an urban community in this country. And so certainly um, observing a lot of injustice, inequities, you know, under-resourced schools, under-resourced youth programs, not, you know, not enough uh, resources to just go around. And so that creates obviously a certain um, situation and a certain uh, conditions in a community. But um, once I left, I went to public, you know, public schools throughout my um, upbringing. And then I went to a small college, liberal arts, predominantly white institution within New London called Connecticut College. And so it was like these two worlds existing in this one city where you have this very affluent college, you know, on the hill within the confines of New London. And it kind of, that was the first time I really had been exposed to, um, you know, social and economic disparity in that type of way. Because growing up, when you're in your environment, pretty much everybody is kind of like, you know, on the same page. So you don't really notice that, those differences, but being thrust into um, the college was like, whoa, you know, kids were driving Mercedes Benzes, you know, their parents were able to pay the full $60,000 a year, you know, tuition. It was like, wait a minute, this is kind of crazy, right? And so just that's what kind of really sparked my interest in learning more about social justice and sociology and racial and ethnic disparities and how that translates into um, economic injustice and learning that Connecticut is one of the most um, economically segregated, um, has the biggest wealth gap, you know, in the country between black and white and um, learning more about what the net worth of, you know, the average black family is in comparison to the average white family and figuring out, you know, how did we get here and really analyzing, you know, the legal system as, kind of being set up to create, you know, a system where these inequities and injustices were actually codified into law, right? If we think about redlining, if we think about Jim Crow, if we think about all of these policies and things that existed on the books to create the system that we now um, see. And also um, over-policing, you know, was also another major character in my in my upbringing, having, you know, several loved ones who were, you know, incarcerated or had come in contact with the legal system in some way or form. It almost seemed like just part of just part of the way it is. And I always questioned things like that. I was was, you know, interrogate things that just people just take at face value as being the way it is, as you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And so I really wanted to learn more about um the legal system and how it works and how we can um avoid, you know, being you know, victims to it in a sense, right? And also recognizing that there are, aren't a lot of Black attorneys and Black attorneys of color specifically that came from the New London community. And so wanting to really figure out how I could use my skill set and things that I'm interested in and things that I'm passionate to really serve my community. So that's really what sparked, you know, my career path into the legal system and wanting to be a lawyer. Wow, wow. Well, you know, and I, you know, I just love how you saw what was happening in your community and you didn't, you, you wanted to affect change there. You know, for me, um, I saw so much of what you describe in my own community in New York and Staten Island. And, you know, we just wanted to get out, you know, a lot of us just wanted to get out. And that was, you know, when I found the opportunity to do so, um, 
you know, when I was young, I used to hear a lot about Connecticut on the radio. And it's just like you said, had this thought, you know, because of how it was uh, portrayed, you know, living here that this was a different, you know, um, opportunity, you know, for me, but not realizing that it exists everywhere we go. We have the same, like you said, disparity in every, you know, um, area when it comes to this country and, you know, the wealth gap with between, you know, certain communities and to find people that actually feel like, listen, you know, no, I'm not leaving, you know, I'm going to affect change and we can have, you know, this and more, you know, if we pull together is important, you know, especially in your own space. And I, I really would love have to have had that type of, you know, initiative and community in my own space amongst my peers. Um, but I'm glad that I found another home. I mean, Connecticut is basically my second home. I've been here half my life now. So, you know, to have that uh, home, a home here and find people who are just as passionate, you know, about creating systemic change and affecting the lives of others, you know, of future generations, our children is important. And so, and you have been very welcoming. You know, you know, I have I've been here quite a while and it's, it hasn't been the same with every, in every area. But, you know, to to align and connect with you has been, you know, really in refreshing. So I thank you. But we wanted, you know, before we, we dive into the deep, deep end of, <laughs> of all the things that you do, because your bio is really amazing. Right. You know, in the short period of time that we've been able to do this type of work and you, like you said, you've been practicing for over 10 years and you've been a criminal defense attorney, you know, so you've been on the side of those who, you know, who need someone to represent their case, you know, in them and in, in authenticity. And so how has that been, like you said, especially for people who have nonviolent you know, drug-related um, offenses, you yeah. know, and I, I come from a, a, a family who's abused substances and have been arrested for things, you know, um, and they, they have been nonviolent. So what made yeah. you dive into that, that end? Yeah, it's just, just what you said, you know, knowing um, the humanity behind the people that I represent and that, you know, they're very similar to people that I call brother, sister, mother, you know, and so forth. And so being able to, um, you know, understand the underlying factors behind what contributes to folks making certain choices, right? And um, a lot of it can be tied to mental health and, um, you know, um, substance use disorder and, um, you know, growing up in an oppressive environment where there's a lot of trauma and folks are trying to self-medicate, you know, oftentimes, and that leads them down the road to utilizing um, substances. And certainly, that isn't something that, you know, I view that should be criminalized. Really folks need support, folks need um, treatment and um, resources, wraparound resources. And so when I present, you know, a case um, of someone who is in that circumstance, it is really about advocating and um, being able to convey who they are at the human level beyond, you know, their addiction and beyond the, the penalty or the crime that they may have been, you know, charged with. And, and, you know, similarly to individuals who choose to, unfortunately, you know, um, deal in, in narcotics and in the drug trade, um, 
you know, recognizing that nobody wakes up or I should say not nobody, because there is a very rare person who wakes up and says, you know, I just want to sell a bunch of drugs today. Like, that's just what I want to do. You know, I think it's a very rare individual who chooses to do that more often than not. It's um, that's what's around you. That's a quick way to make money. Um, You don't have to apply. You just kind of get up and, you know, um, figure out how to do that. Right. And so recognizing that given other alternatives, especially when we're talking about young folks, given al- other alternatives, um, folks would make a different choice and that we need to figure out certainly how to resource communities. So where those other alternatives exist, you know, and, and can outweigh those negative choices, which have, you know, negative um, collateral and detrimental consequences oftentimes you know losing your life obviously is the is the first ultimate consequence but losing your liberty is would be the second one to that that's pretty detrimental right and so um you know always always recognizing that outside of you know again the conviction that the person that I have the privilege of representing is a human being and it's my job to be able to communicate that effectively to the court and kind of work out the best possible possible deal that I can or if the case is, you know, if the, you know, the warrant or whatever, the police report is flawed in some type of way, you know, get the case tossed, you know, and so um, everybody has a right to fair representation, has a right to a zealous defense, um, regardless of what crime they stand accused of. And so, you know, I, I often am able to look past, you know, things that, you know, obviously <laughs> wouldn't agree with and wouldn't choose for myself, but this is a human being and they, they have the right to, uh, to be defended in a way that, you know, they can um, get get a fair shake under rep, understanding that this legal system is not set up to be fair for especially for people of color. And so I take my you know responsibility as an advocate, as a defense attorney, very seriously. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm proud of the work that I've been able to do. But recognizing that, you know, it's very uh, incremental work, right? You work with one client, two clients, three clients. It's it's, it's hard to make a community-wide and a system-wide impact. And so that's one of the things that led me into the cannabis industry, figuring out how I can leverage social and hopefully financial capital to make more system and community-wide change. Yes, yes. And you are joining such a long line of historical act- activists and advocates for for the injustice system that we've experienced. You know, it's, it's just two different systems for us. And so we do need more of us who have the um, tenacity, you know, to get involved in that space. And it takes a lot of dedication and study, you know, to undergo and understand the laws, you know, the various laws that exist. And then also to come from a community and a culture who, you know, doesn't, doesn't feel, you know, that the system works for them, obviously. And then, you know, they, they have to come to you and, and kind of trust that, Hey, I'm on your side. You know, it's not, I'm not, I'm not just working in the system and working for them, but I'm also on your side and working with you, you know, to change, not just this system, but also can help hopefully change your life and your, you know, the outcome of what you're faced with. Um, so we truly appreciate yeah. that, you know, the black women are definitely, you know, the, the we, it, we're the foundation of a lot of things that we don't get credit for because yeah. we pick up, you know, the heavy work. We do a lot of the heavy lifting. And so I, I see why you would be called to the cannabis industry mm-hmm. as a way to not only be able to help others in the legalities of it, right, but 
as a way to build wealth to be able to now, you know, broaden your reach in your community. You know, that's 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 why that's our why is so different than yeah. so many other people. You yeah, know, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head because you know we we can recognize you know when you have this awareness when you have this knowledge of the way that power dynamics and um influence and social capital and actual capital you know how all that interplays to get things done in this country or even just in your own little sphere of influence in your community you know that you really cannot do much without without wealth or without some type of financial wherewithal and so um certainly i recognize that cannabis is not like a get rich uh <laughs> quick scheme or <laughs> overnight success type of situation, but I'm hoping incrementally, you know, in over time, it's something that will put me in a position to do a lot more than I would have been able to do without, right, entering into this industry and be able to leverage that to really benefit my community in, in as many ways as I'm, as I'm able to. Um, it, it remains to be seen how that will all play out, but I, I said, you know, hey, you got to take the chance, right? You got to take take the um, opportunity and see what you can do with it. And certainly looking at multiple different types of, of, of revenue streams. But I said that this opportunity is here. And I believe that we as uh, people of color, as black people, as black women specifically should be at the forefront of it, you know, in whatever way, you know, kind of aligns to our values and our areas of expertise. And so that's, that was part of, you know, the impetus for me getting involved and certainly having an appreciation and coming to more knowledge about the plant and um, the social justice um, aspect of it, helping people clear their records who have been wrongfully convicted um, of cannabis um, related charges. So it just kind of all really um, synergistically kind of worked together um, around my values. And that just felt like a personal call to, hey, get involved, figure out, you can figure this thing out and, you know, through you know, divine, whatever, yes. here I am now, you know, as one of the, the first licensees in the adult use market. And I'm, you know, I take it, I take it um as a very, you know, as a, as a huge privilege, you know, as a huge privilege to be in this position. Yes, yes. You know, I agree. Um, congratulations, definitely. And I'm so happy to have someone who is a licensee come on the platform so we can find out, you know, more about if it's something that we want to do, you know, I mean, every state is different. Every area is different. How they roll out their social equity and, you know, licenses are different. In the state of Connecticut, you know, it it was it wasn't easy, you know, uh, but like you said, you were able to obtain one. But what called you to cannabis outside of the uh, social justice and what you saw needed to be done and could be done with what you already do professionally? Was it something that you consumed? Did you use it for your own health and well-being? You know, what was your journey like? Yeah, for sure. I definitely am a late bloomer in many ways, but certainly as it relates to cannabis, right? Because being a child, you know, born in the 80s and growing up with that whole narrative around being, you know, scared to death of yep. using anything that was called a drug. It wasn't something that I ever wanted to um, be around as a, as a youth. Um, because I think, you know, we know why, like that hysteria and all that stigma was, and that propaganda was very much done by design, right. but, um, you know, really the, I would say the pandemic, um, is really what started my cannabis journey, you know, being a single mom of three and dealing with this new normal <laughs> that 
definitely wasn't normal not having answers for my children um, who are asking me, mom, you know, are we going to be okay? What's happening? You know, trying to do virtual court and virtual pre-K at the same time and just um, dealing with all of that, like many of us. And then watching the death toll, watching black bodies be murdered on TV. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot going on at that time. And I, and I don't, you know, I don't really consume alcohol like that and other, uh, any other substance really. And so I started to learn more from friends and just doing my own research about how um, the plant is, um, you know, can help alleviate that, you know, stress and that anxiety and really allow, at least for me to really be in the moment and deal with the here and now Mm -hmm. and give myself, you know, grace and compassion and, you know, tackle one problem at a time instead of feeling like you have to take on the whole entire world. And so it really, it really, I would say, is part of why I was able to survive, um, you know, through the pandemic from a mental and emotional health standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being more isolated, not really having those um, connections with your normal uh, community because everyone was just in a state of fear and not really knowing what to do or how to move or can you go visit people? Can you not? Like, it was just so much, you know, during that, you know, year and a half, two year time period. And so um, that's really, that really started my personal consumption journey. And, you know, now I utilize it in my well-being, in my wellness, and I'm learning more about, you know, the benefits of cannabis, how terpenes interact, and really trying to get, you know, more into the plant and how the many ways that we just don't even know um, the ways that cannabis can help unlock, you know, certain memories and things like that. Like there's just a, there's just a a Pandora's box that is really um, to be discovered with this plant because we haven't been able to do any, you know, real research with it. And so it's an exciting time right now um, to know that there is something natural that comes from the earth, you know, that you don't have to be prescribed. Like, I don't even take aspirin, you know, so it's like to know that, you know, there's something, there's an alternative to deal with some of the things that we're struggling and navigating. And so I always say, like, regardless of if you have a medical card or not, I feel like every person who utilizes cannabis is a patient of the plant in, in one way or another, even if you don't recognize it, because you are looking for relief usually um whether it be relief from your racing thoughts or actual you know chronic and physical pain or you're looking for a spark of creativity you're looking to increase libido like there's just so many things that it can be um leveraged for and so to me that's really exciting it's really fascinating um you know if i think about it from the business perspective it it's a wide open opportunity to really create customized experiences for people mm-hmm. where i think a lot of other um consumable products don't allow that and lend itself to that so I'm really excited to you know see what kind of innovation can happen in the industry but I think first and foremost certainly leveraging it as medicine and really keeping that at the center is really important for for my message and really advocating for conscious consumption you know of the plant um really being aware of why you are utilizing it because anything could be overused and misused right um even sugar you know that's like probably my uh my one addiction is sugar so it's like you know really tapping into self and being um conscious of you know what's going on with you and why it's leading you to feel like okay I need to you know consume and um kind of working through those things at the same time and not trying to like mask them and you know ignore them um, so. Yes, yes, I agree. I mean, we are definitely aligned in purpose 
you know, purposeful consumption, you know, and intentional use and and being conscious, of of course, about all things, like you said, anything can be overused and overconsumed. And so, you know, what I love is how you spoke to the, you know, really your practices, you know, not consuming anything, not being, you know, an alcohol consumer and why you, you know, during the pandemic that was, you know, even though it seems like it was, you know, so far away, it, it was just a couple of years, right? And, you know, we were, it was, there was a lot of unsurety during that time, you know, and a lot of isolation, you know, I lost a family member during that time, isolated and, and was, and succumbed to, um, you know, a fentanyl, uh, really a fentanyl, uh, I, they would say overdose, but, you know, to me, she wouldn't, she would have, if she would have had access to the plant, you know, because of this, you know, the, the stigma, she would, she stayed away from it, but, being able to have access to that plant over an opioid that was laced with fentanyl, she would have still been here, you know, at 43 years old, you know, so it was a hard time for us. Yeah, for sure. I'm so sorry to hear about that. So yes, thank you. Thank you. You know, um, her birthday's coming up, you know, in April, National Cannabis Awareness Month, you know, so I I definitely want to share her story. Um, mm-hmm. and, and share how we, we have to, we have to do the work of removing the stigma in our community to be able to access the plants that, right. you know, that help us. And like you said, everyone's consuming for a therapeutic reason, you know, oftentimes right. we don't want to say that that's what it is, but that's what it is. And, you know, you being a professional in, you know, the criminal justice system, as well as city councilwoman and on the board of so many nonprofits and community organizations, you know, obviously there is still some stigma. So how do you deal with that in our community and in your, in the professional world? Yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's interesting and exciting, right? Because I think one of the great things, like I've kind of solidified like my reputation, right? Like people trust me, I'm a credible source of information, right? I'm a, I'm a good friend. I'm a good mother. Um, you know, and so that has already been, it's pretty solid. Right. And so now when folks see me consuming or talking about it, it's like, oh, you know, it's like, you're not going to suddenly put me in a box, a negative box, because you've already kind of put in your mind, like, this is someone who I know and trust and actually like, right. So I think it's, I think folks who sit in a similar, you know, position as myself, really are um should be inspired to be more bold and um courageous around their consumption because i think that helps to change that stigma of what you know a person who consumes uh cannabis is and it's been a great thing for me too because i too had those negative stereotypes and what led me to like stay away from it for so long and i wish i wish i knew earlier because there was you know coping with stress throughout my life probably would have been a lot easier but you know everything happens when it's supposed to and so I haven't gotten any negative feedback at least nobody to my face <laughs> so you know like even my grandma she was like you know you got to be careful because you know judges and did it I was like you know grandma actually so many judges have pulled me aside and like have told me how proud they are of what I'm doing you know what I mean so I don't yeah. think um I do think that when you have a credible source someone that you trust it's like wow okay you know, and a lot of people do consume, they're just not open about it. And right. now we're trying to, you know, in Connecticut, create more normalcy around it and something that's more done, you know, out in the ocean open, because when people do things behind 
closed doors, that's where you have the opportunity for things to be misused, for there to be, you know, mis miseducation, for people to do things irresponsibly, right? And so the more normalized it becomes, we can kind of put social norms in place to, to keep each other safe, you know? get it from a, a legal dispensary versus off the street, um, consume in community. This is really meant to be a communal um, plant, you know, a ceremonial type of thing, you know, don't get behind the wheel if you, after you've consumed, you know, be somewhere safe, be with, be amongst friends that you trust, just like anything else, right? And so um, I think it's been a, a really great experience for me so far in the community of people who are, um, you know, involved with the plant, whether from just consuming level or in the industry has been a really, for the most part, you know, until we talk about like the big business aspect that can not, sometimes not be so pretty, but most people are just very welcoming and like, so non-judgmental, you know what I mean? You're able to really let your guards down. And like, my, like I always use the word compassion. I feel like mm -hmm. this plant allows you to have self-compassion and compassion for your fellow you know, brother and sister, which we really need a lot of right now. We need more of that to really be able to kind of overcome a lot of these issues that we're kind of facing as a society right now. Compassion is so critical. And I, I think the plant unlocks that a great deal. Yes, yes. Compassion is key. You know, when when uh, you're called to the plant, if you have to consume, but even for those who are involved in the industry or consume for their own health and well-being, you know, to help, even if you are not a consumer, it is okay to advocate for us to have access and the right to consume this plant. And so I, you know, I thank you for sharing that because I have a few professional um, family members who, you know, don't really want to speak up about the consumption are still a little shy about it or stay away from it and could really use it. You know, a couple of my family members are judges and they're concerned with, you know, being uh, associated or attached to, you know, and I get it because of its federal status, it's still federally prohibited. And so you want to make sure that, you know, you're okay. And this is how you get your bread and butter. And we understand, but, you know, self-care, if it is a form of self-care and you need it, don't be afraid to, like you said, come to a trusted source to see what it is that you can consume that is legal. CBD is in CBG and all of those things are legal federally and they are very much helpful and they do wonderful things in the body. Um, it is not just the federally prohibited cannabis plant. It's hemp as well. And you can, you can have access to that. So um, I appreciate you definitely sharing that. And that kind of segues into Lady Jane CT and what that, you know, what, what you want to share in that space and, and under that umbrella, because you have the cultivation aspect, uh, uh, you know, aspect of what you do in the industry, but also the wellness aspect. And so yeah. I've been to a couple of your events, which have been amazing for, to me, especially in Connecticut, we don't have much. So <laughs> Yeah, and thank you so much for always coming to um our events. Definitely appreciate and like I said, your energy is always so welcoming. Um, yeah, so you know, again, and going back to like my personal, you know, process and kind of navigating through this journey, I didn't really find a lot of brands and thing, you know, events and things that resonated with, you know, me, you know, a black woman who likes luxury, who likes to be around well-appointed space, who loves pretty packaging and beautiful jewel tones you know I just didn't find that and so I really wanted to um create a brand that speaks to the type of woman that I am and would 
really resonate with other Black women and really centering our self-care and our wellness and our well-being, um, you know, kind of putting that at the forefront. And so that was the idea behind Lady Jane and wanted to curate community around that and through events and different things where you can have a good time, you can enjoy some type of element of consumption whether it be a CBD vino or an infused menu or, you know, a smoke session and just be in community and also learning more about the plant and the wellness benefits. So all of the events are really tailored to both, you know, the community and entertainment, but also education and um, helping to, again, destigmatize the plant and show different faces that are in this community and different folks who are from different walks of life who consume cannabis. And um, I'm also working on a, a, a line, a sexual wellness line that will have um, cannabis in it. And the hope is that, you know, our, our retail dispensaries will have like of the Lady Jane experience, right? Like when you come to the dispensary, you can also get this more customized experience around um, our products and really working with the individual about what they need and curating something specifically for our consumer. So it's I'm really excited to create that in Connecticut because I think we are, you know, right for that type of innovation in the cannabis industry. So so yeah, that's where I see the Lady Jane brand really going, creating our product line, really being that brand that speaks to a certain type of woman, the Lady Jane woman, you know, the woman who likes luxury, who likes to relax, who works hard, who is a, you know, a dedicated mom, wife, and all of those great things, but puts herself and her well-being at the center and utilizing cannabis to um, leverage and enhance her wellness, whether it be her sexual wellness, whether it be her physical wellness, emotional and mental wellness, spiritual wellness, all of that wrapped up into one, so... Yes, beautiful, beautiful. I love it. I love that you, you know, really um, created a brand, you know, that represents you and also so many of us, you know, that we can kind of come to as a source for all the things, you know, cannabis and wellness when, you know, if you're not a DIYer like myself, <laughs> you know, so we need those. We need those trusted brands. You know, I, I shared about choosing effective cannabis products and in so many points that you touched on, that was a part of the, the talk. So that's a very important um, need in the space, you know, especially products geared towards women, you know, and moms, you know, and that was my, my next question as a mom of three, you know, as mentioned in the uh, intro, you know, how does that affect how you move forward in the industry, in the space? You know, how are you speaking to your children about cannabis? And then what is that? Has that brought any, you know, side eye looks, you know, you being a mom, especially a black mom, you know, we, we, we yeah. get a lot of, you know, slack and flack about the state of our community and our children as if it's, you know, all us. So how, how has that been? Yeah, it's been it's been very interesting, you know, because in all full transparency, you know, um, cannabis was a huge like um, chasm, I guess, in or um, in my marriage, you know, um, my ex, you know, without telling too much of his business, you know, he consumed quite a bit. And at the time, you know, me not recognizing that he was likely using it to manage, you know, depression and stress and things like that. I just was just like, it was always like, man, like, can you stop? You know what I mean? And so now that I'm in the industry, you know, I definitely have, again, going back to that, to, to being more compassionate and really understanding like what leads people to um, consume and being more understanding and speaking to my kids, you know, in a very 
open and honest way, you know, they're definitely excited about mom being the plug and all of that. But, um, you know, to, for them, they are minors. And so, you know, yeah. we have very candid conversations about, you know, that them utilizing at this age is definitely not, um, not acceptable. And, you know, I have a five-year-old, so we speak about it more in terms of a flower. Actually, she found, I had a picture, like a close-up picture of a, a, you know, of the plant um, kind of in the cultivation stage. And she was like, mommy, I've changed your um, iPad um, screensaver to a flower. And I'm thinking I'm going to see a daisy or something, but it was the plant, you know? So it's like, it's a very normalized thing for her. Like, this is a flower, this is a plant. She doesn't, you know, we're changing the language, you know, with her age group. Whereas my boys, it's like relearning because they're older, they're 15 and 18. And so it's a lot of really relearning around it. You know, my oldest, he's like, you know, he's not at all interested. My middle child, a little too interested if you ask me so you know you have to really meet them where they are and right. explain in terms that are not you know not demonizing not scary or anything like that but hey this is a this is a substance and it is for adult use you know so when you are 21 if you want to you know talk about consuming and things like that we can have that discussion but right now you know that's not certainly not something that you should be doing and so you know their brains and their bodies are still developing and so forth and so just like anything else um, you know, I wouldn't want them engaging at this age, but um, yeah, we have we have very candid discussions around it for sure. Um, and they, they are really really proud of proud of me <laughs> to um, you know, to be in this industry. They're really excited. Unfortunately, they won't be able to come into you know the confines of the uh, business right. until they are older. But um, at least on opening day, when there's no plants in there yet, they'll be able to. But um, yeah, they're 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 excited. But it does. I think it the the really cool and fascinating thing, right, is to be a parent and to be part of the re-education, right, of the next generation. So that way they grow up more more informed with a with a more wider worldview around the plant, not afraid of it not stigmatizing it, being able to understand that it is medicine, right? And they'll be able to impart that to their children. And so that's how you, you know, really um, re-educate and change the narrative around around it. So I yeah. agree. I agree. You know, a lot of um, education for me happens, obviously, with adults and stuff. But really, when we want to see change and we want to see that transformation, it's really going to come from, you know, educating the youth in the science, you know, science-backed education of the plant. And yes, you know, it's not for uh, adolescents, you know, especially if it's not medicinal. There are children who have to utilize this uh, plant for medicinal reasons. They're dealing with something terminal, something chronic, but just like with everything else, anything you may supplement, you don't want to have to use it for the rest of your life, you know, so it may be for a period of time throughout their, you know, their, uh, their youth, because they're dealing with that, that issue to help the restorative aspect of the plant, bring that back into their body. Um, but after that, right, even if you're looking to imbibe, it's not for you until you are an adult. That's, you know, I, I have to go through the same conversation with my 20, almost 21 year old and my daughter, she's 16 and my son is 11. So I, I truly understand, <laughs> you know, I truly understand we, we're doing we're doing a lot of work um, in, in and out of the space, you know, when it comes to uh, education and, you know, advocacy and activism you know, on all four fronts. So I really appreciate what you're doing and your time today. You know, what I wanted to ask uh, you to share is for the rest of us out here, sisters that want to get involved in the space, you know, what 
are some of the first steps, you know, um, to, to not just getting a license, but even, you know, you have the thoughts like, hey, you know what, I consume cannabis, I can do some amazing things. You may even be a professional in another area. How do you, yeah. how do you even start? Yeah, I think, I think doing a personal assessment, right, of like, what you're most passionate about, what, what areas in, whether it be professionally or um, things that are more like in the hobby realm, you know, what do you love to do? What really brings you joy and figuring out how that can be leveraged to support the cannabis industry. If you're not interested in like touching the plant, plant directly, because there's such a need like for brands and like creating um, a real, you know, community and culture around um, consuming, right? From Hopefully we'll be able to have lounges one day and be able to consume at lounges. But just even when you think about merchandising and like ancillary pro products to be able to like, you know, trays and, and grinders and so many things. And if you're a tax accountant or an attorney or somebody who's a business consultant, somebody in the tech space, I think tech is a huge area of opportunity for yeah. the cannabis industry, really, again, creating a personalized experience and leveraging technology to do that. I would love to see more. Um, black women and people of color get into tech specifically for the cannabis industry, whether you're supporting the business side of it, you know, with um, different types of um, accounting software or customer, um, you know, um, we can call it consumer marketing software or more on the customer side and creating apps that really speak to the customer. I think there's a wide open space for that. Uh, again, branding and licensing and creating, um, you know, the culture around it. You see a lot of celebrities jumping into the space and putting their names on things. And I think that's very, very exciting. But I think it really starts with doing an internal inventory of what you're passionate about, because this can be a very complex um, industry to navigate, right? And so if you're not, it's not something you truly love to do, it'll probably be even that much more difficult. And then, you know, again, looking at the industry, if you're here in Connecticut, you know, I think it's a wide open opportunity for many of the ancillary um, business events, you know, is a huge thing. We need even more events that bring people together around the plant that can bring vendors together, create, again, a strong um, supply chain, as well as the things that people want to see with that, coupled with that. So, so yeah, I think personal inventory and then really figuring out what gaps exist in the market right now and where some things even need to be created that people are not thinking about are always sustainable packaging, right? Like when we yes. think about being eco-friendly and how do we create packaging that can be reused and but also looks sexy and looks nice and you know all of, all of that i think there's there's a lot there's a lot of opportunity um in the industry and folks just have to kind of figure out where their niche is and what they enjoy what they're passionate about and and go for it and then if you're you know more interested in the plant touching side of things certainly um you know learning the regs kind of being in touch with the dcp and the um, social equity council and figuring out you know when they're going to release another round of licenses, being in touch with those of us who are currently licensees, because I know some people may be interested in selling their license to other social equity eligible individuals. So, right. you know, those are things too to be networking with those folks. There's not, it's not a big group of us, right? And so you can find out right on the Department of Consumer Protection's website who has the licenses, um, who's provisionally licensed and so forth, and figure out how to forge those um those uh, relationships, if that's something that someone is interested in. But I do think, um, you know, professionals who already have skill sets in accounting, tax, you know, tax, um, 
you know, preparers, yeah. business developers, um, investors, certainly lawyers for sure, human resource personnel, yeah. um, those who work in risk management and insurance, like all of that is we need all of those services within the industry. So if you're in those professions, you just figure out how to leverage that talent to this market. And, you know, you can definitely, you'll definitely be successful because it's a need. We're going to need it all. Yes. Yes. This is so true. This is so true. And so for, you know, all of us who were wondering, well, you know, how am I going to come into the space and, you know, Hey, I may not be able to get access to a license, but there are some other things that I can do to provide support in the industry and like you said align with those who are already involved um that's a that's an exciting opportunity as well and um especially here in Connecticut and so what do you see or what do you hope for the Connecticut market like you know yeah yeah, yeah. Um, again it's, it's it's very exciting you know i'm really hoping that Connecticut um really capitalizes on the fact that there are a lot of women of color in who are license holders at this point. I don't, you know, I don't know per capita if there are any other states that have this many. Um, and so I think, you know, for me, we are the trendsetters. We kind of set the tempo for many things. So seeing us in a position to really be able to um, direct where the industry goes here, I think is very, very exciting. When we think about looking at, you know, people who look like us, who have not had access to the opportunity, who have not had access to the plant, even in a way that hasn't been demonized and really embracing folks and bringing them in, um, working with those who have been in the gray and legacy market and figuring out how to provide technical assistance so they could, you know, create brands and get licensing deals and create what I believe is going to be the next wave of this industry, customer experiences around brands. You know, I think cannabis has kind of rested on its laurels with, you know, the bigger companies being able to be very generic. And now you're seeing a lot more branding pop up. And it's it's because that's where where things are going. People want the Jordan experience in cannabis. Right. You know, they want to say, oh yeah, I made my own strain by mixing this and this and, you know, and doing that. So I think that's where where we're headed and that's very exciting. Um in addition, you know, um I want to see more events, you know, more events that really cater to the cannabis community in a very social, responsible way, where the events are safe, where the events are fun, where it's bringing people together in community to be both educational and entertaining around the plant, incorporating it with the arts, incorporating it with, you know, fitness experiences and so many other things. Um, I think that's a really exciting opportunity and certainly um, seeing where the revenue from this um, industry will go into the disproportionately impacted areas and helping those communities um, in ways that we haven't seen before with right. business, you know? So I think that's going to be also a very another exciting thing here in Connecticut. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. I agree. We definitely want to see all of those things unfold and and, and really be create a transformative cultural you know, mm -hmm. community, you know, with the plant um, at, at the forefront. So I appreciate that. And so my final question is, you know, for us women who decide to go at it and be entrepreneurs in this space that is heavily male dominated, like you yeah. said, you know, it's a very small percentage of women in this space and then even smaller percentage of women of color. So 
how has that experience been for you to be the boss and have to orchestrate so many things uh, in this space? And, you know, how you, are you getting any pushback? You know, how should we move forward, you know, and, and show up in this space? Yeah, I think, I think, I think um, I always think about like the story that folks hear, you know, when a group of people come into like a conference room and a black woman is like sitting at the table and they're like, oh, don't sit there. That's where the CEO sits. And then once everybody gets in, she introduces herself and like, I am the CEO, right? Like I want a story where that's like the norm. Like when people are in a room and they don't see a black woman CEO, it's like, oh, they feel like something's wrong. You know what I mean? Because that should be the standard. And so, you know, um, you know, we have overcome so, so much I think, um, first of all, you know, our courage and our bravery and our tenacity has allowed us to kick down doors and create tables that didn't exist. And I think we have to take that same spirit into this industry. But I do, I am finding more and more that people really do want to hear what we have to say in this industry, um, because I think there's just been so much, you know, the, the cacophony is just so, it's like an echo chamber, you know, and so we're in a time where there is a desire for something different and something new. And I think that new voice and that new vision is going to come from Black women. And so I haven't really, at least within the networks that I've been navigating it with, people have been very embracing and very much wanting to hear what I have to say. I don't always know what to say because I am new to the industry. And so I think we have to really capitalize on that and support each other through these processes, I think those I have found um, so many women of color, Black women specifically, to be you know mentors and people who I go for advice um, as I'm navigating this space. I think sharing the information is going to always be one of our winning assets, um, and we have to continue to do that. But I think um, don't be nobody should be scared or intimidated because we've overcome much much harder things than navigating this industry. Um, this is like this is like fun to me. You know what I mean? And I don't mean to say that in like an arrogant way, but you know we've been in charge of lives, people. You know our family's health care, financial well being, like really literally trying to get someone out of jail and like you know um, preserve their liberty. This. This is a this is nothing, you know. Um, so just use all of that you already have and come up, come authentically as you, and you will find that that is the winning recipe for sure. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. I think that was, you know, a great way to end our session. And you know, hopefully, we can have you back on the platform. Absolutely. And you know, you know, I, I want to do maybe some type of roundtable or some type of event where a lot of us are on here speaking to a specific topic that really affects us. And um, and I appreciate all that you do. And you know, I can't wait for, to see what else you you know you present us with here in Connecticut and, and throughout the U.S., you know, I, I could see it just growing, you know, and Lady Jane CT being an international brand, obviously. Oh, thank you. And I so, received that. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, and if you want to uh, connect with Tiana, um, of course, all of her, her links and stuff will be in the uh, description on YouTube and I'll make sure I share that, but how can someone reach you for those listening and not watching? Yeah, and first I just wanna say thank you so much for having me on again. Um, anytime you pick up the phone, you know I'm gonna be there. This has been a true pleasure and a true honor to speak with you. But yeah, anybody can reach me out on, I guess it's Instagram would probably be the best way, at ladyjane underscore ct, um, ladyjanect.com. You know, I'm pretty um, accessible, even though I don't do a lot of posting on social media. I'm always checking my messages, but, um, but yeah, I'm always around. 
Okay, great, great. Yes. And um, you'll be able to read her full bio in the description as well. I will put all her links um, to check out LadyJaneCT.com and upcoming events that she um, is hosting. And if you are a Black woman in the cannabis space or you consume for your own health and well-being and you would like to be featured, you'd like to connect and join the tribe, please reach out to me, Takesha, at uh, Black Woman Who Blaze on IG, or you can comment uh, below and I'll definitely reach back out. Again, Tiana, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate your time. You're a very busy woman. So, <laughs> so thank, thank you. you. And um, until the, until next time, everyone, uh, peace, love, and light.